Friends, from the moment the sun sets on Christmas Day, nearly everyone turns their attention to the celebration of the new year. Now, of course, no New Year's celebration would be complete without the fun of family and friends, plenty of delicious food and drink, and yes, of course, New Year's resolutions. Family, this week in my studies, I came across a a very interesting article that talked about the, the different kinds of resolutions that people are most inclined to make, and it's interesting how those Uh, how those resolutions differ depending on what country that person lives in. Family, back in 2013, Google Maps developed a project that they called Zeitgeist. Now, those of you who have a little German background, you might recognize that word. Zeitgeist is a German word. It's a word that literally means spirit of the age or spirit of the times. Well, in this Zeitgeist project, internet users from all over the world were invited to go onto Google and share their New Year's resolutions. And then Google took those resolutions and put them on a map and then analyzed them and broke them down into various categories, including health, love, career, finance, and education. Now, looking at the map... Things differed by country. Health-related resolutions were the ones that dominated the United States and Egypt. Visitors from Australia and Japan were most often making resolutions about love and romance. In Russia, meanwhile, education was the top resolution. In India, career goals came in first place. And of course, this was far from a scientific study, but the results were still very, very interesting. So what were the top New Year's resolutions going into this year of 2017? Well, I'll tell you the results. Here they are, starting from number 10 all the way down to number one. These were the resolutions most put forth by the globe. Number 10, make new friends and be a better friend. Number nine, get more sleep and relax more. Number eight, drink less alcohol. Number seven, volunteer more and donate more to charities. Number six, get a new job. Number five, be nicer, kinder, and more patient. Number four, save more money. Number three, learn something new. Number two, read more. And number one, more dieting, more exercise, and more weight loss. Well, Christian friends, as we've gathered here this morning on this last Sunday of 2017, this morning we want to consider together a New Year's resolution that many of you will surely be able to embrace and even follow through on to a joyous fulfillment Without a doubt, friends, millions and millions of Christians living in America today, the best resolution that they could make for 2018 would be to join their local church in membership. And so, friends, today in this message that I've entitled, Why Church Membership Matters to You, we want to open the Word of God today, friends, and take a closer look 
at this important subject of church membership and why it is so vitally important that every Christian be an official member of their local church. Now, family, for those of you who are already members of this local church, I don't want you to zone out here, okay? This is not your opportunity to nod off or go to sleep or start thinking about your New Year's celebration. Christian friends, those of you who are members, this message is for you too. You and I need continued reminders about why. Why we joined this local church and how it is that membership in the local church actually enhances our obedience to Jesus Christ and advances our own spiritual growth. Now, in addition to that, Christian, if you are already a member of this local church, I want you to have this biblical information in hand so that you can join me, so that you and I can unite together in being supporters and promoters and champions of church membership. Not only for the good of our own local church, but really for the good of local churches all across the globe. So family, this morning as we open God's Word, as we search the Scriptures diligently, what are some of the most important biblical reasons why Christians ought to belong to a local church in membership? Family, today I want to show you from God's Word five reasons, five reasons why church membership should matter to you. Here's number one. Number one, why should church membership matter to you? Number one, for the sake of obedience to Jesus. Number one, for the sake of obedience to Jesus. Now, I hope you have your copy of God's Word. Let's look this morning at Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Matthew 16, I hope you'll open with me, beginning in verse 13. Matthew writes, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then Jesus commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, Christian friends, here in Matthew 16, Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and they are way up in the northern part of Israel. They're about 25 miles or so north of the Sea of Galilee. They're way up in this region called Caesarea Philippi. And as they're conversing together, this is the place where Peter makes that all-important declaration, this amazing statement of faith there in verse 16, where Peter says that Jesus is the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Now, of course, many Christians are familiar 
with that part of the narrative, but what comes next is really important too. In verses 18 through 20, Jesus makes a statement here regarding the foundation, regarding the power and the authority of the church, the church that Jesus himself is going to establish and oversee. Look at verse 18 with me. Jesus uses a little wordplay here. Sometimes we don't always catch this in the English language, but there's a wordplay happening here. When Jesus says about Peter, Peter, his name Peter literally means small stone. Well, Peter had uttered this declaration about Jesus being the Christ. Peter uttered these words about Jesus that were really the giant boulder upon which the whole church would make its foundation. So you've got the little stone making the statement that is truly the giant boulder on which the whole church finds its foundation, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. We'll look at verse 19. Jesus says that he will give to Peter, and by extension, all the rest of the disciples too, Jesus says he will give them the keys to the kingdom. Whatever they bind or loose on earth will be bound or loosed in heaven. Now, family, what in the world are these keys to the kingdom all about? Well, friends, the short answer is these keys represent authority. Authority. Think about that. If you have keys to a vehicle, if you have keys to a home, if you have keys to an office, you have authority to use those things at your own discretion. Well, here in the Bible, Jesus tells his apostles that as a group, and really by extension, this extends out to truly all believers, that all of those Christians possess a delegated authority in the realm of the church. So the keys of the kingdom has to do with authority that Jesus delegates to his church. In other words, family, when any legitimate group of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they come together, and when they are acting together as a group in accordance with God's word, those believers possess together a spiritual authority from Christ to take certain actions, to make decisions, and even to render judgments that Jesus says he affirms as well. Now, what are some of those actions? What are some of those actions that Jesus gives a delegated authority to his church that they have the authority in his name to accomplish? Well, the corporate body of the church, as we look at the New Testament, Jesus gives the church a delegated authority to put a sinning Christian under church discipline or to remove that church discipline once that Christian has repented. The Bible says the church is also given a delegated authority to declare if someone is forgiven or if someone is not forgiven. The church has the authority from Jesus to oversee the two ordinances. The ordinance of baptism, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Now, what's the point of all this? Where are we going here? What does this have to do with you and with church membership? Well, friend, listen, the point is this. Before Jesus ascended back to heaven, Jesus established the church... And Jesus gave the church authority and leadership over the life of all Christians. 
Jesus did not give you the keys as an individual believer. No, Scripture says He gave them to His church. He gave them to His body, the corporate body of the church. So what we're saying here, Christian friend, is this. Jesus never intended for you to be a lone ranger Christian. As an individual, you don't have the authority to baptize yourself. As an individual, you do not have the authority to administer the Lord's Supper to yourself. You don't have the authority to oversee or, or guide your own spiritual discipline should you wander and go astray. No, the Bible says all of those things come under the purview of the church. The church, so you need the church. This corporate body of believers that Jesus empowers and that Jesus gives authority to in order to do spiritual business in His name. Now, so many people would say, well, of course I believe in the church, capital C Church, the global church, the worldwide church, the universal church, but dear friend, the universal church is most visible at the local church level. The universal church is visible at the local church level. Look back at the birth and the growth of the early church in Acts chapter 2. Remember how thousands and thousands of people were converted on the day of Pentecost through the preaching of the Apostle Peter? Acts chapter 2 verse 41 and verse 47 explicitly say that when people heard the gospel... When they repented and they believed on Jesus, Scripture says they were added to the church. In other words, family, conversion led to a public identification with Jesus. Conversion led to a public baptism. And that led to an official belonging to the membership of the local church. The church in the book of Acts had a membership. The church in the book of Acts had a local membership. They knew who was in their church and who was not in their church. The early church had a membership. So Christian friend, as you think through this important matter, you need to understand this believer that belonging to the local church is a matter of your obedience to Jesus Christ. Jesus launched the church. Jesus organized the leadership of the church. Jesus gave authority to his church to take actions, make decisions, render judgments. All of this authority Jesus gives to the church. Why? For the good of believers. For the growth, for the development of all Christians. So, if you want to be obedient to Jesus, then you need to join with the church that Jesus established for your spiritual good and for your spiritual growth. Now, moving forward, let's consider a second reason, a second reason why every Christian should be joined to a local church in membership. Number two, number two, for the sake of one's own spiritual good and safety. Number two, for the sake of one's own spiritual good and safety. Would you turn with me just a page or two over in your Bible to Matthew 18, 
Matthew 18. We're going to look at verse 12 here for just a moment, and then we're going to skip down and, and look at verses uh, uh, 15 through 20. Matthew chapter 18. Let's begin with verse 12. Jesus says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? Now, would you skip down with me just a couple verses for time's sake? Skip down to verse 15. Jesus says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Friends, here in Matthew 18, we are looking briefly here in verse 12 at one of the most memorable of Jesus' parables. It's certainly a one that is a favorite of many Christians across the globe. In verses 12 to 14, Jesus tells his disciples this famous parable of the lost sheep, where the man who has discovered that one of his precious flock is missing, he leaves the 99 and he goes looking for the one that is lost. Now you remember that part, but don't miss this, believers. Immediately following that parable comes these instructions that Jesus gives about the discipline of a wandering believer and how that wandering believer is to be lovingly sought if they go astray. Now, what unites these two sections of Scripture? I wonder if you caught this. What unites these two sections of Scripture, the parable of the lost sheep and then the instructions about the wandering believer, what unites them both is they both put an emphasis on the word go. Go. Did you catch that? Did you see there in verse 12, the shepherd, what does he do? He will go. He will search out the straying sheep. And then Jesus gives these instructions about the wandering believer. And Jesus says that the Christians in the church, that they are to go and seek that sinning brother, that sinning sister, and to see them rescued, to see them restored to the fold. Now, friends, the valuable lesson that you and I take away from this then is one of the primary reasons that the local church exists is to help provide for the spiritual good and the spiritual safety of Christians. When you are a member of a local church, you are officially a part of that flock. That flock. And you can be sure that when you truly belong to that flock, if you happen to stray, if you happen to wander off, if you get caught out in the wilderness somewhere, out on the rugged mountainside of some sin or some false teaching, well, you can be sure 
that your church family is going to come looking for you. Jesus teaches, did you see this? It is not only in those instructions on restoring the wandering believer. Did you see this? It isn't only the pastor or the leaders or the deacons who are to come looking. No, Jesus talks about how the whole church is involved in this. The whole church is involved in the finding and in the restoration process. The whole church is going to do some seeking after with a love and with a concern and a desire to help that wandering Christian be restored back into the fold of Jesus. Look in your notes there. I gave you another scripture that ties in with this one from Galatians 6. Paul writes in Galatians 6, 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now, think with me carefully here, okay? Think carefully. For those of you who are Christians, and yet you are still not a member of this local church, the question that I have for you, based on this text, the question I have for you is this. If at some point in your life, if, if you were to become that wandering lost sheep, if you were ever to wander off into sin or to some false teaching, if your spiritual life was threatened, if your spiritual safety was under attack, who, I ask you, who is looking out for your welfare? Who, who is going to rescue you from that debilitating sin? Who is going to come looking for you to rescue you from that soul-crushing mistake? Who is going to come looking for you to see that you will be restored? Dear friend, the Bible's teaching is that the emergency plan is that Jesus wants to dispatch the church, to dispatch the local church, to come looking for you. But how can that happen? How can that ever happen if you refuse to become a member of that church? You know, some years ago, the credit card company American Express had this little catchphrase in a number of their campaign commercials. You remember it, I'm sure. American Express had this little tagline in all of their commercials, membership has its privileges. And in those special commercials, American Express wanted the public to know that for all of those people who would choose to carry the American Express credit card, they wanted everyone to know that by carrying American Express, not only would you receive, would you receive supreme customer service from them, but they would even provide personal identity protection and that your credit information would be guarded at all costs. Christian friend, isn't it true that the most valuable thing you possess is your relationship with Jesus? Isn't that truly the most valuable thing you possess? Wouldn't you want that to be protected? Wouldn't you want that to be safeguarded at all costs? 
The point I'm making, dear friend, is that church membership has its privileges. When you become a member of a local church, you can be certain that the local church is going to be there to protect you, to protect you from spiritual harm, and to come looking for you should you wander off into a soul-crushing mistake or if you wander off into some false teaching that's going to ruin your life, the church is going to come looking for you and bring you back out of those rugged mountains to see you restored to the safety of the fold. So friend, can I just tell you the truth? Listen, church membership is not about extracting something from you. Church membership is about providing spiritual safety for you. Now, let's look at a third reason that the Bible gives about why you should belong to a local church. Number three, for the sake of the pastors. Number three, for the sake of the pastors. Would you go with me just a few pages over, family, to Acts chapter 20? Acts chapter 20, of course, is the the history book of really the early church. It's life and it's history, it's growth, it's development. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I'd like to read from verse 26 down through verse 28. Now this is what we're jumping into here is a portion of the Apostle Paul's meeting with the pastors at Ephesus. So Paul is there. Paul's had a great emphasis, a great teaching emphasis in Ephesus. And now he's meeting with these elders, with these pastors So let's look at Acts chapter 20, verses 26 to 28. Paul says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Family, one of the stunning stories that will forever be associated with America's Black Friday shopping obsession was the heartbreaking story about a man, 61-year-old Walter Vance, Walter Vance was a businessman from Logan County, West Virginia, and the story was told on MSNBC. Mr. Vance decided to go out on a midnight shopping spree, Black Friday, to take advantage of all of the great deals that were going to happen at his local Target store. He was there at Target that night. He wanted to get some Christmas decorations. He started a little Christmas display at his work, but he ran out of decorations. Target was having a great Black Friday sale, so he went to Target that night at midnight so he could get more decorations to finish his display at work. Unfortunately, family, Mr. Vance never got to finish that display because at some point during the late night shopping hours, Mr. Vance suffered a heart attack, and he later died at the hospital. But that's not the stunning part. That's not the shocking part. The heartbreaking part of this story is that while Walter Vance collapsed there in the aisles of Target, the eyewitnesses told NBC News there in West Virginia that shoppers walked around and even over 
Mr. Vance's body. Now, while there is plenty of shame and plenty of blame to be shared amongst those greedy shoppers who refuse to help a fellow citizen, their story is surely a reminder to us that terrible things can happen when someone isn't looking out for you. Believers, here in Acts chapter 20, the Bible says about who it is that's looking out for you. And in Acts chapter 20, that person is none other than the pastor. The pastor, or the pastors, plural, of your local church. Here in Acts 20, the Apostle Paul is meeting with a group of pastors. He's meeting these pastors who had been a part of the ancient city of Ephesus. This is in a timeline of the, Paul, of the Apostle Paul's life. Paul knows, Paul knows that he's on his way to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit has made clear that when Paul gets to Jerusalem, he's going to face persecution, he's going to face arrest, and certain punishment for being a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's Paul, here in Acts 20, he's meeting with these pastors, and Paul knows this will be the last time he ever sees them, ever. He'll never see them again. He will never see these pastors, these Christian leaders, that he has, has had such an impact on their lives and their ministry. So verse 28 is Paul's last will and testament. Here's Paul's last words to his fellow pastors. He says, brothers, take heed to yourselves and to your flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to shepherd the flock of God that he purchased with his own blood. Paul talks to these pastors about their primary task. Their task as pastors is to protect the flock, to watch over them, to oversee them, protect them, feed them the truth, shepherd their souls. That's what it means to be a good pastor. Now, Christian friends, let me be honest. Let me be honest with you this morning, and I will tell you that one of the greatest challenges today that's faced by pastors in the United States of America is trying to watch care over a church, a local church, when perhaps a third to perhaps up to even half, half of the Christians in that church aren't members. Just imagine with me for a moment. Put yourself in my shoes for a moment. Would you imagine how difficult it is to try to provide care for Christians who attend your church, but they're not members? They're not real members. If they have surgery, or they're sick and they're in the hospital, do you visit them? Do you not visit them? Is it even your responsibility to visit them if they're not really officially a part of your flock? How about when they don't come to church for a month? If you're not really their pastor, do you even go searching for them? How can you when you have no authority to speak into their lives as their pastor to help shepherd them back to church? 
If they would happen to fall into a heinous sin, do you discipline them? How can you if they're not really a member of your church? You know, as a pastor, you don't have unlimited amounts of time. You only have so much time. So put yourself in your pastor's shoes. You have a limited amount of time. You have to shepherd, but yet you also have to constantly preach week after week. Your time is short. Who do you go visit? Do you go spend your time visiting that casual attender? Or do you go visit the committed member? Does that non-member even deserve your time? Do they deserve your time? If they have never committed to your local church, do they deserve your time committed to them? Or what about a financial need? What if they have a financial need? Should the pastor try to direct church monies their way? How can he take money from the church family, the church membership, the church body, and direct it to individuals or couples or families who are not members? How can he take money out of the membership and direct it to people who have never made a step of membership, of commitment to the church? Believers, do you see how difficult it can be when you have Christians in your church who won't join? The point I'm making is if you are a Christian, you need to join your local church for the sake of your pastor. Join your local church for the sake of your pastor or pastors. When you join, you're letting the pastor know who you are. You're letting the pastor know you're part of his flock, that you should matter to him. When you join, it lets the pastor know that you count, that you are to be counted amongst his flock. You are one of the people he needs to be responsible for to shepherd and love and feed and visit. You need to join your local church. Because only by joining the local church can you obey Hebrews 13, 17, which says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Christian friend, do you want me to be a pastor who's filled with joy? Do you want me to be a pastor who pastors with delight and become a member of this church? Become a member. And that way I'll know. I'll know for sure that I'm supposed to be responsible for you and pray for you and love you and shepherd you and care for you and give all of my best pastoral efforts for you. Now, let's move on. Here's fourthly, family. Why should you join the local church? These are all from the Bible. Right from Scripture, number four, for the sake of other believers. Number four, for the sake of other believers. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a moment. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 20 through 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. In verse 20, Paul says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand... I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. 
And, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored and all the members rejoice with it, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. You know, Christian friends, it was just a couple years ago, you might remember this, the uh, Green Bay Packers of the NFL. The Green Bay Packers put some shares of the, of the NFL ownership of the Packers up for sale in order that ordinary people, public Mr. and Mrs. Joe Public could own shares of the legendary Green Bay Packers. 250,000 shares of publicly owned stock went, on for, uh, went up for sale, and the company that was taking care of the orders received 1,600 orders in less than 11 minutes. Just shows how many people wanted to be a part of the ownership of the legendary Green Bay Packers. Now, what's so fascinating about this, friends, is that by buying these shares of the Green Bay Packers, these shares offer no real dividends. There's no yearly payouts. There's no dividends from owning the Packers. But people in Wisconsin went crazy for it. And really, people all across the globe were enthusiastically buying up stocks because they wanted to say they were part of one of the great sports franchises in NFL history. Well, listen, Christian friends, when we open the New Testament, we discover that in very similar fashion to those stock-owning Packers fans, you and I, as Christians, we have a real share in the church of Jesus Christ. The New Testament teaches that the very moment you put your trust in Christ, the moment you became a Christian, you became more than just a spectator. The Bible says you became a participant. You became an owner, a participant in what Christ's body is doing locally and across the world. Here in this text we just read, which is a very famous text, you take 1 Corinthians 12, you also look at Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, and the Bible says that Christians are all interconnected together. We are one body with our head, the Lord Jesus just like a human body has internal organs, and it has a skeletal system, it has bones, it has muscles, it has organs, it has tendons and muscles and joints, and all of this, all these various systems all come together. So the Bible says it's the same way in the church. All the different believers, they're all individuals, they all have unique gifts and abilities, but they all come together, and they're united in this one body called the church. Well, what does that have to do with membership? Well, I'll tell you. Joining a church in membership officially brings you into the body life of the church. It brings you into the body life of the church where people are going to come alongside of you, you're going to come alongside of them, and good things are going to happen in Jesus' name. There's mutual friendship there, mutual encouragement there, mutual accountability, and there's support, there's spiritual growth, 
There's spiritual advancement both in your part and on their part and on the part of the church. Listen, think of it like this. When the Green Bay Packers win a big game, when the Packers go to the playoffs, when they go to the NFC Championship, and when the Packers win that big game, all those people who hold a little bit of stock in the Green Bay Packers, what do you think they say? They say, we won. They don't say, the Packers won. They say, we won. We won the NFC Championship. They say, we did that. You see how they're including themselves in the we. They celebrate and they say, I'm a part of that. Listen, it's the same thing in the local church. When you become a member of the local church, when you become part of that body life, and when that local church wins a great victory, when something great happens in that church, like a great outreach event, when you see a number of people saved, when you see dozens of kids pour in for vacation Bible school, when you see a handful of people getting baptized, when you see that sinful person be brought back to the fold, that's when the membership looks around and they say, we did it. We did it. By the help of Jesus, we did it together. Praise God. I'm a part of that. I'm a part of that Grace Baptist Church up there. Yeah, that church that did the outreach over there, that church in the park deal, yeah, that was my church. That church that's down there at Fun Fest, reaching people and handing out balloons and, and stirring up great things, that's my church. I'm a part of that. Christian, join the church. Join the church. Not just for your own sake, but for the sake of all the other believers who are going to be strengthened and encouraged by your participation in the body. Now, let me give you number five. This is the fifth reason we'll talk today about why the Bible says that church membership ought to matter to you. Number five, for the sake of non-Christian neighbors. Number five, for the sake of non-Christian neighbors. Look with me, family, at this familiar text that's back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, Christians, when average people here today, when they hear the word church, there's a whole string of pictures that comes into people's minds. You say the word church, and people today, Joe Public on Main Street, on Broad Street, Hazleton, man, they get all, all kinds of pictures come into their mind when you use the word church, especially in this city. You say the word church, what do they associate with that? Bingo. Pierogi sales, bake sales, pancake breakfasts, uh, chicken barbecues and pierogies and street carnivals and fundraisers and festivals. But family, listen, the passage of Scripture we just read, this is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus makes it perfectly clear those are not the images that ought to be in mind when it comes to the church. Verses 14 to 16, we learn the primary picture 
Jesus has in mind for his followers is this one, light. Light. Look, back in the times of the Bible, there was no electricity. None. Zero. No electric lights at all. The only way anyone could ever see at night was to use some kind of light. Some kind of torch, a candle, an oil lamp. The handheld light was absolutely necessary for life in the ancient world. You must have a handheld light in order to see where you're going, to pierce the darkness, to find your way. Whether you were out on the dusty street or whether you were just trying to walk across your own living room, you needed light. Christian friends, when we let the gravity of Jesus' words sink into our hearts, we should remind, it, this should remind us, Christians, the church is not here for bingo. The church is not here to sell chicken either. We are here for one reason. We are here to pierce the darkness with gospel light. The church of Jesus Christ isn't a pancake house. The church of Jesus Christ isn't a coffee house. It's a lighthouse. It's a lighthouse. And it's outfitted by people whose mission it is to shine the gospel light of Jesus Christ out into the darkness so that sinners can be rescued and given eternal life. That's our mission, to shine the light, the only light that will ever save a sinner. It's the light of the gospel. Jesus said in Matthew 28 there in your notes, you remember this text, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Friend, how does this relate to you and church membership? What does this have to do with church membership? Well, I'll tell you, when you become a member of a local church, you are joining yourself to a fellow group of light bearers. You are joining with other light bearers who are seeking to shine their light of Jesus Christ into your local community. You should join a local church just for the sake of the community to join together with other believers so that you can join with them in reaching your community with the light of the gospel. There are so many people all around you who don't know Jesus. They are still blind. They are still in the darkness. They still need to hear about Jesus. So when you join a church, the church is going to help you keep your light shining brightly. A good church is going to give you fresh fuel for your flame. A good church is going to teach you how to light your lamp correctly and how to hold it high and confidently so that people find the way to Jesus. Oh, we could be honest, it's okay. Your light individually and my light individually, it's a little small. But guess what? When we join those lights together, when we put hundreds and hundreds of lights together, that light becomes massive and it becomes a powerful impact as it penetrates the darkness. Christian friend, you say you love Jesus? You say you want to see lost people come to Jesus? Then add your light to ours. Join with us and let's work together. 
Let's put our lights together and really penetrate this darkness for Jesus. Now, maybe some of you are here today, and we've had a whole message now on church membership. And now maybe you're coming to this conclusion that if you will just join a church, well, that's the way your life will finally be right with God. If you just join a church, God will finally be approving you. God will finally be on your side. If you just join a church, friend, let me just stop you right there. Because the Bible says church membership does not save your soul. Church membership will not forgive even one of your sins. It cannot grant you salvation. Church membership can't give you eternal life. Only Jesus can do that. Only the Savior can save you from your sins so the most important question you ought to be asking today, dear friend, if you're not a Christian, the question you need to ask is not, am I a member of the church? The question you need to ask is, am I a member of the family of Jesus? Look, if you're listening today, if you've never trusted Christ for salvation, then turn away from all your attempts to be right with God. Turn away from church membership. Turn away from religion. Turn away from morality. And put your trust in Christ. You need to know the truth today, that the church doesn't save. The church doesn't save. It only points to the one who does. Friend, if God is speaking to your heart today about your need of Jesus, come to him. Come to Jesus today. Confess your sin with a repentant heart. And in believing faith, invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Put your trust in Jesus alone. Jesus alone saves. So put your faith in Jesus as Savior. Well, family, as we draw to a close now, my earnest prayer is that all of you listening today will take this message to heart and realize this, that the most important resolution that so many of you could make here this morning for 2018 is a New Year's resolution to join this church in membership. Take these scriptures to heart. Church membership is not a pastor's idea. Church membership is not a denomination's idea. Church membership comes from the Bible. And it is patently clear over and over and over again. Friend, I want you to see today these reasons why membership matters so much. For the sake of obedience to Jesus. For the sake of your own spiritual good and safety. For the sake of the pastor. For the sake of other believers. For the sake of this community. These are the reasons these are biblical reasons. There's no arguing against these biblical reasons. You should join your local church in membership. For those of you who are members, I hope this message has been encouraging to you as well, hoping you to remember. That you'll remember, Christian friend. You'll celebrate, dear member, about why you joined Grace Baptist Church to begin with. Listen, we cannot see Jesus visibly today but we see Him through His people. We see Him through His church. As we gather with His people, Sunday by Sunday, we see Jesus. We see Jesus as we gather with fellow believers to worship Him and also to work for Him as we shine His light into the world. So Christian, listen, if you're a member here today, if you're a member of Grace Baptist Church, I ask you to join me as a supporter Join me as a promoter. Join me as a champion of church membership. Listen, if you see someone around here who's been here for weeks or months or even years, 
and they're not a member? Speak to them. Speak to them. And champion church membership. Nothing could be better than to have that person join us officially in church membership. So speak to them. Encourage them to join. Talk to them about these biblical reasons. All these reasons we've learned this morning. Christian friends, tomorrow is the first Monday of a new year. You can be certain that as of tomorrow, many new memberships will be beginning. As Americans try to live up to many of those reasons and those resolutions that they told Google on the internet. All kinds of memberships. Memberships to the Y, memberships to a fitness club, membership to Nutrisystem or membership to Weight Watchers. Quite frankly, Christian friends, I can live without any of those memberships. But as a Christian, there is one membership I really cannot live without, and that is a membership to the local church. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.